0: As a best guess, I would say Ezra wrote the book of Chronicles, but we don't know. But we'll see more things that may point in that direction. So we'll look at the date. Now we're going to have to work ourselves forward to try to figure out an approximate date for when this book was written. So the first piece of information we have is the decree of Cyrus to rebuild the temple was in 538 BC. And then the first return of the Jews under Zerubbabel was in 535 BC. So the book must have been written after 535 BC, but how much after? And, and we get a clue in 1 Chronicles 3, 19 to 24, because this particular paragraph, it continues the genealogy of Zerubbabel for. It looks like another five generations. You know, the son of Zerubbabel is this, and then the grandson and the third and fourth and fifth generation. So it takes us forward uh, quite a ways. And as a guess, I would say 90 to 100 years. It takes us forward beyond the return under Zerubbabel. Why would I say only that much for five generations? well when Zerubbabel brought the Jews back he was already he would have been an adult already an elder in the nation and his son was probably all grown and married and maybe even his grandson had been born so you have another three generations say 30 years each and a little bit of time for the grandson if it was born after the return or whatever so That would bring us down to around 440 BC, maybe a little bit after that. So the book of Chronicles is written much later than that first return and very close to uh, that date, 440. So we have 458 BC. That's when the Jews returned under uh, Ezra 445 B.C. is the third return under Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, we discover that Ezra was working with Nehemiah. So that's after 445. And uh, if Ezra was the author, then Chronicles would have been written somewhere around 440, maybe a little later than that, and uh, close to the time when the Old Testament was completed. And interestingly, remember last week we talked about the, the Jewish bible and the protestant old testament they can reveal different things based on the way the books are collected and in the the jewish old testament chronicles is actually the very last book of the bible and so chronicles is giving a kind of a summary of the entire old testament it begins with adam and goes all the way out five generations past the rubble bowl. And uh, really covering the entire history of the Old Testament. So that gives us a pretty late date for the the writing of of the book of Chronicles. So as we look at some themes, we're going to be looking at four themes here. And the four themes, I would say, begin with the division of the kingdom to, to the exile. And... That's actually the last section of these two books. Covers 400 years of history. The first theme is going to be removing idolatry. We're going to see that over and over again. Restoring the temple. We'll see that over and over again. Reading the book of the law. That will keep coming up. And remembering the Passover, which will also be coming up. These four themes are going to run through that 400-year history of Israel from the division of the kingdom all the way uh, to the exile. And the reason why all of these would be there is to emphasize now to the people that have returned, let's remain faithful. Let's follow all the kings that were faithful. Let's us continue to remain faithful and not go back to the old ways. Removing idolatry, restoring the temple, reading the book of the law, remembering the Passover. Look at that. I even came up with four R's for you. So you can remember these four words. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to test you on them later if I remember and if we have time. (laughs) Removing idolatry, restoring the temple, reading the book of the law, and remembering the Passover. All right. The purpose of the book. Chronicles was written to encourage the Jews who had returned from exile. We already mentioned that. Chronicles emphasizes the times in Israel's history when the kings were faithful to the covenant. So kings really gave us the the full bloody story of all their sins during those 400 years. Chronicles now is going to focus on the times when they were faithful. Chronicles focuses on priestly concerns such as the temple and worship and was most likely written by a priest. We had that idea already. And Chronicles describes the preparations that David made to build the temple and records David's speech to the nation to help Solomon build the temple. So when we go through Kings, all we know is that that uh, David was told, you are not going to be the one to build the temple. Your son is going to build the temple. But then when we read Chronicles, I hope I said Kings before, If we read, when we read Chronicles, we discover that David was really involved with this temple building. He's making all kinds of preparations. He's uh, taking all kinds of offerings for building. They brought a lot of materials on site. He's selected the site. He's planned out the design of the temple, you know, he's giving all these plans to Solomon, and he's encouraging all the people in the nation to to give to the temple building, and, and saying, do what Solomon says, and telling Solomon, make sure you do this. He's really done a lot of work to prepare for the building of this temple, even though he himself was not allowed to. And we have also David appointing Levites and temple singers for the worship. Uh, Chronicles gives more details than kings about the building of the temple. And Chronicles re- records the Passover feast uh, at the temple in the reigns of Hezekiah and Josiah. Again, all these things surrounding the temple over and over and over and over again. And it has the offerings of the people at the temple. And it goes down into all, everything that If you worked at the temple, you'd you'd be concerned about all those things. There's going to be a big emphasis on the kings who opposed idolatry and false worship, and there were five in particular. There they are, Asa, Jehoshaphat, uh, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Those five kings were the most faithful of all the kings of Judah, and uh, so they're going to be coming up. We'll see them as we uh, go through later. So Chronicles speaks only of Judah and ignores Israel. You know, the Judah, the two tribes in the south, is everything is about Judah. There's nothing there about uh, the 10 tribes in the north called Israel. And Kings was just the opposite. It spent a lot of time on Israel and just a little bit of time on Judah. Now Chronicles reverses. All right, so the tribe of Judah is emphasized because the kings that lead to the Messiah, the temple and the Messiah, they all come from Judah. And so the focus is on the temple and the Messiah. So here's our outline, very simple outline. In the two books, we have four sections. We begin with the genealogies, then the reign of David, the reign of Solomon, and the history of Judah to the exile. So from the division of the kingdom to the exile is that final section, and we'll spend most of our time uh, there. All right. So commentary, the genealogies. If I said, what, are the, what's, what do you remember most about the book of Chronicles, and what's your answer? <laughs> It's full of names. <laughs> There's name after name after name after name. All right. So the genealogies are there, and the genealogies uh, give by name people from all mankind, from all Israel, and in particular, the line that is leading to the Messiah. It's interesting when uh, every person that is born into this world is given a name. And that name, by naming that person, it says this person is a very unique individual and has value and has worth because this person has been created in the image of God. And so we have the naming of everyone ever born into this world. And uh, interestingly, even those that didn't get born but were conceived. So like in my situation with Ree, we had a child that uh, there was a miscarriage. We don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but we named our child and we named our child Shekinah because it was our hope that that child would stand in the Shekinah presence of God. So even even the giving of names is before a child is born into this world. So the naming shows that this is a unique individual, very important and special to God. And uh, so let's take a little bit of a look here at at, uh, some of these. All right. So we said that that we're going to begin with Adam. So we go from Adam to Noah. And Noah had his three sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. And it goes through all the families of Japheth and all the families of of, uh, uh, Ham and the families of of Shem. And and so it it goes forward. And and it's not just following believers, but believers and unbelievers, those in the covenant, those outside of the covenant. It's it's just tracing families out. And all these families are important to God. And God uh, will not forget all the nations that in the Old Testament were were outside. He's gonna, he's concerned about their future as well. So, and then with Abraham, he has Ishmael and Isaac, and it follows all the genealogy, all the families from Ishmael, and then we have Isaac, and then it goes Esau and Jacob. It goes through all of Esau, and then Jacob it comes down to. Uh, Jacob and he has the 12 sons, and then it's going to spend a ton of time. Now we're talking about God's people. It's going to go through all, all the tribes of, of Israel, giving all the family his, histories, all the way down to the exile and beyond. And when it gets to de- Judah, it has particular interest in Judah. And it's going to follow Judah, you know, from Judah. Judah to the the man Judah to David. And it's going to follow from uh, Solomon down to Jehoiakim. We saw last week, he's the last king in the line of David. And then beyond, you know, the the royal line beyond the exile. And it's tracing that line that's going to go directly to Jesus Christ. So there is this intense interest when it comes to Judah to following this line that's going to lead us to the Messiah. And so it's just like the direct line, this is straight, straight to Jesus, from Adam all the way, very close to Jesus, when we come to the end of the Old Testament. Then it ends with the genealogy of Benjamin, the last tribe, and it spends a lot of time there because King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. So it'll end with the genealogy of King Saul. And then we go into our second section, which is the reign of David. So there's a little story there about uh, Saul taking his life on Mount Gilboa, and then David being anointed king. And uh, so one of the first things that David does is he conquers Jerusalem, He captures the city Jerusalem was like the most impossible city to take in the entire promised land. It was the the best defensive city. It's on the mountain and they build walls around it and armies just can't get up there and take that city. And so it is the, 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 the key city in the whole land of Canaan. And David and his men take the city of Jerusalem. Then, uh, having taken the city now, he's made it his capital and he's built his palace and he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and puts it in a tent there. And now this is the central place of worship in Jerusalem. So you have the king there, you have the tabernacle there, and the Ark of the Covenant is there in the city of Jerusalem. So David has gone out and he's conquered all the surrounding nations. He's conquered the Philistines, he's conquered the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and other groups that are within the boundaries of the promised land. And David has is the first one since the days of Joshua to have completed the task of taking the entire promised land. It gives the borders and everything. And in uh, 1 Chronicles 16, it mentions God's covenant promise, the promise that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that he would give the, the Israelites the entire promised land, and it has now been fulfilled. Israel now has received everything that God has promised. They have become a great nation They have the promised land, and they are incredibly blessed, and they have become a blessing to the nations around them. We saw that last week as it was continued on in the the reign of Solomon. Solomon also was reigning over the entire promised land, and great blessing to all the nations within those boundaries. And then we saw last week, the, the covenant that God made with David, and uh, the covenant, uh, everyone here knows it, so God, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, but your son will build the temple, the son of David is going to build the temple, and not, he's going to be known as the son of God, I will be his father, he will be my son, he will reign forever, and, he, and he's the one that will build the temple, and... Uh, There's an initial fulfillment in Solomon, but it it falls short. And the ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus. Jesus is the son of David, the son of God, the eternal king that builds the temple. All right. So we move on into the reign of Solomon. And now... uh, we looked last week, Solomon's request for wisdom and knowledge, and God gives him abundantly. We saw uh, Solomon build the temple, and now in Chronicles we discover where the temple was built. The temple was built on Mount Moriah. And uh, Mount Moriah has come up two times in the, in previously in, in the Old Testament. And once was just a few years before this, A few years before Solomon built the temple, David, remember, he took a census of the nation. And uh, that was something that God said, do not do that. (laughs) And so there was a punishment for David taking that census. And the punishment was three days of pestilence. The plague was going to run through the nation. People were going to die because of taking this census. And on... uh, The first two days, it was around the nation, and uh, tens of thousands of people were dying of this plague. And then on the third day, the angel that was in charge of bringing this plague was over Jerusalem, and he was about to come against Jerusalem. And David saw the angel, and he went to the spot, and uh, and and the spot above, you know, below where the angel was was a threshing floor. And this threshing floor is called the threshing floor of Arun Aruna. Chronicles gives a, a different name for the man, but the same man. And uh, and so David buys this threshing floor, he buys the, all the, the lumber for sacrificing, buys all the animals for sacrificing, and he makes a sacrifice there on the threshing floor, and then the plague is averted. God brings the plague to an end. And so the sacrifice for sins has been made and, uh, on, on Mount Moriah. And that is the location that David is going to tell Solomon, build the temple right there on Mount Moriah, on that threshing floor. That's where... The sacrifice for sin was made, and the, and the sins you know, were forgiven, and, and the plague was ended. But there's another time before that when Mount Moriah is mentioned. Anybody remember the other reference to Mount Moriah in the Old Testament? Abraham. Abraham. What about Abraham? Okay, he's journeying to the mountain, Mount Moriah, and there he offers Isaac. He's, God says, offer Isaac there. And it was the father, Abraham, sacrificing his own son, Isaac, to remove, you know, to remove sin. But Isaac also is insufficient for that job. And so God stops him, and God gets a new name, Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice that will take away the sin of the world. All right, and then where is Jesus crucified? On Mount Moriah. (laughs) So all these things, Abraham, the father, sacrificing his son, we get all the way to the New Testament, the father, God, sacrificing his son, Jesus, on Mount Moriah to take away the sins of the world. So it's not a coincidence that that this uh, temple is built on Mount Moriah. Okay, so Solomon uh, completes the building of the temple. He brings the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies in the temple. The temple is filled with God's glory. Uh, Solomon uh, gives his prayer of dedication. And then when, when that is... Is completed. We talked about a lot of that last week. The Lord appears to Solomon at night. And now we get to what is probably the most quoted verse ever in the book of Chronicles. And uh, you're probably wondering, what is that verse? I've heard it a thousand times. It begins with, I'll give you the first three words and everybody will know what the verse is. If my people... (laughs) All right, let's read it, all right? 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12 to 15. We're going to be reading a lot of little snippets now from here to the end of the book, and they're going to be, uh, once we get to the division, uh, we're going to be focusing on those four themes that we mentioned. The four themes are Removing idolatry, restoring the temple, restoring the temple reading, the reading the book of the law, the and remembering the Passover. All right. So let's take a look here first. If my people, uh, who can read for us Second Chronicles 7, 12 to 15? Don't all jump at once? Okay. Amen. So you can see why that is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Repent and uh, humble yourselves and repent and you will have all of God's blessing pouring out. All right. So then we have a description of Solomon's throne. And it's just so interesting that I said, we got to read this. This is such a magnificent uh Description here. Let's read chapter 9, verse 17 to 19. Who would like to read that one? Okay.
1: one more verse While the 12 lions stood there one on each end of a step on the six steps nothing like it was
0: ever made for any kingdom wow you know when i when i read the the way you know the god gave all the plans for the tabernacle that they were all patterned after some true reality up there in heaven i just even though the Bible doesn't say, I just wonder, was this throne patterned after the real throne up there in heaven? This throne is so awesome and so fearful. Uh, so it would be so frightening to come into the presence of the one sitting on this throne. Uh, all these lions and everything. and the, the, uh, it, It's just amazing. It doesn't tell us that that's what the throne of Christ is, is what it really looks like. But uh, the closest we get in the New Testament is that he, you know, Jesus is sitting on his throne with his foot on his footstool and all of his enemies are being brought in underneath his footstool or before the throne. And uh, anyway, it's just a, it's just a interesting, I thought it was a very interesting picture of the throne of Solomon. All right, so now we get to the 400 years of history that we had last week, only we're going to come at it from a different angle from last week. Last week was saying what? What was the main theme of the Book of Kings? Idolatry. Idolatry, 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 idols, idols, idolatry, all the way through the book. And now we're going to be talking about removing idolatry. Okay, so um, maybe we'll read this one. I have a lot of little short readings that will go to the end of the the book. And uh, so here we are, chapter 14, verses 2 to 5, King Asa. Now before we actually get there, there's an interesting uh, story little paragraph earlier in the book and remember when uh, the kingdom split Rehoboam is king of Judah Jeroboam is king of Israel and Jeroboam created those golden calves and he appointed priests from all 10 tribes in the north and he ignored the tribe of, of Levi well all the Levites All the priests and the Levites in the north, they all moved to the south. Again, this would be something really interesting to a a priest, a Levite. All the the priests and Levites moved because now they're just ignored in the north. They have nothing to do. They went down to Judah where the priests and Levites were still uh, of interest. All right, now we're going to go back to Asa chapter 14, verses 2 to 5. Who would like to read that one? Okay, David. Amazing. I mean, there's altars everywhere. There's all these false uh, idols and false gods and false worship going on all over the place. So here he is. He's destroying uh, high places, uh, altars, uh, pillars, ashram. We don't even know what all these things are, but he's destroying all these things. And uh, they're everywhere, all the cities of Judah. Why? this idolatry was very widespread, and every time the kings would uh, destroy all this, it would just pop up again, and we're just going to have to keep on destroying these idols over and over and over and over again. And that's what happens. We saw our five big kings, Asa. The second one was Jehoshaphat. Let's read chapter 17, verse 6. So uh, Asa knocked them all out, and they all came back, and now Jehoshaphat knocks them all out, and, uh, and we just keep going and going. But something else happened during the reign of Jehoshaphat. Uh, one of our other main themes here, chapter 17, verse 9, who could read that one? Okay, so I should have read the earlier verses where uh, Jehoshaphat appointed all the the priests and Levites to go out to all the cities of Judah and teach the book of the law. And so these people, the priests and the Levites, they're all going out to all the cities and they're teaching everyone about the, the book of the law, the law of Moses, the Bible, if you will. All right, so they went out to teach the Bible throughout the land. Then we come to a king called Joash. What do you remember about Joash? Remember, Joash uh, was a baby. <laughs> and he was hidden in the temple. and. And they waited for him to get a little bit older than, than a toddler. He was seven years old, and he became king of the nation. And, uh, and, and the things that Joash did, uh, so one of the things he did was to, uh, let me see where we are now. In case you're wondering what this is, this is a 42-page summary of every single chapter in the Bible. <laughs> I, I love it. So um, so we come to Joash, and the first thing, one of the things Joash does is he uh, destroys the temple of Baal. Let's read about that. Chapter 23, verse 17.
2: broken pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest
0: of Baal, before the altars. All right, so we have the, there's, now we've got this temple of Baal, it's not just uh, under Ahab and Jezebel up in the north, it's also down in the south in Judah, Baal is being worshipped, they have a temple of Baal there, and Joash uh, decides to destroy the temple of Baal. And and they kill the priest of Baal. They remove all the idolatry there. And and everything is just uh, demolished and taken away. All right. Um, So he destroys the temple of Baal. And he repairs the temple of the Lord. So we have all this stuff going on repairing the temple of the Lord. we'll We'll skip over that one. Then we have our fourth major king in this section, uh, Hezekiah, Hezekiah. So uh, one of the early things Hezekiah does is he cleanses the temple and he restores the temple worship. And he celebrates the Passover. Big event, big event in the nation. It seems like there were probably quite a number of years where they never celebrated the Passover. And uh, here he's remembering to celebrate the Passover. And let's read about that one. Chapter 30, verse 1 and 5 to 6. Great, great. All right, so this has taken place after Assyria has taken the northern kingdom away into exile. Remember, they, they took the so-called important people away, the educated people. They took all the upper-class people away in exile, but they left all the poor people in the land. And now Hezekiah is a king in Judah, but who, who is he inviting to the Passover celebration? The whole nation, it says, from Dan to Beersheba. Those were the two extreme points of the nation. Dan, the highest city in the north, and Beersheba, the lowest city in the south, and the whole prom- everyone in the whole promised land is invited to the Passover celebration that's taking place in Jerusalem. Big. It was really big. So uh, Hezekiah goes on from there. And in the next chapter, 31, he removes idol worship. We'll take a look at that. So under Hezekiah, he inspired all the people to get involved with removing idolatry. So let's read 31 verse 1. We're almost to the end. (laughs) 31 verse 1. Who can read that one? All right, so now they're not just destroying all the I- idols in Judah. They're going up into Israel, the Ephraim and Manasseh. They're the main tribes up in the north. They're going everywhere. So the people are so inspired after having this big Passover celebration, and there must have been a lot of reading of the Bible going on there, and they go out and they destroy idols everywhere, everywhere you can possibly go. They're out there destroying idols. And then... Uh, Hezekiah's son is Manasseh. All right. So last week we learned about Manasseh, that Manasseh was the most wicked king in all the history of Judah. And now we get to Chronicles and we discover something. And I'm going to ask Ken Showalter to read this one because he brought it up last week as a, something he really loves to read about. So you could read about it here, uh, verses ten to thirteen, and then fifteen to sixteen. Second. Chapter thirty-three. Okay. 33 10, to 13? ten to thirteen, and then fifteen to
2: sixteen. Thirteen. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father, and prayed unto him. And he was in turn entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord he was God.
0: And then fifteen and sixteen. Thank you. So this is so amazing. Manasseh, he, had, he was the longest, I think, that reigned, 55 years, and he was the most wicked king. He proliferated idols everywhere, right even into the temple itself, and, and then uh, God punished him, and he came to the end of his rope. He humbled himself before God. He, be- he was converted and became a true believer, and then in the end of his life, now as a true believer everything changes and he starts removing all the idols that he had built up to begin with. And so we actually learn two lessons from, from this story. One, God is able to forgive any sin at all. No matter what sin has been committed, God can forgive it. And he will and he does if you humble yourself and come to him. But there's a second lesson here And the second lesson is there are still consequences of sin. And so Manasseh had been converted, he had been completely forgiven, and he was out there trying to destroy all the temples, but he had spent 55 years proliferating worship of idols. And that was the, we read last week in Kings, that was the ultimate downfall of the nation, that the whole nation had been persuaded to worship idols and leave God behind and so his sins are forgiven but the consequences of sin are still awful alright so then we get to Josiah Josiah is amazing alright so Josiah is really doing quite a lot of stuff here So here we are, 34, 3 to 7. Let's read about him removing idols. Who can read that one? Chapter 34, 3 to 7.
1: burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel, then he went back to Jerusalem.
0: Alright, so here again we have... Uh, He's not only destroying all the things in Judea and Jerusalem, he's going up into the the northern kingdom and the tribes there and destroying idolatry everywhere it exists within the promised land, within the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's removing all these idols, and then he goes on to uh, repair the temple. So there we are again, he's repairing the temple, and while they're repairing the temple, something significant happens. the book of the law is found. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, how did the book of the law get lost? Here <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was being t- taught during Jehoshaphat's time and beyond that, and I guess Hezekiah's time, but somewhere, maybe under Manasseh, the book of the law got lost. And now when they went into the treasury box or whatever, to get all the money out to do all the repairing, they found the book of the law. And so the book of the law made its way to Josiah. And Josiah read the book of the law. And Josiah was just devastated. Our sins are so great. And so awful in the presence of God. And, and there was much repentance in the heart of Josiah. So let, let's read Thirty four, fourteen to fifteen. Who could read that one? While
1: well, they are bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of uh, the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Stephan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord,
0: and Hilkiah gave the book to Stephan. Okay. And then when went passed on, it got to Josiah, and so on. So here we have the Book of the Law, again, coming into a central position. And then Josiah celebrates the Passover. So Hezekiah had celebrated the Passover, now Josiah celebrates the Passover. Let's read that, verses, uh, chapter 35, verse 1, and then verses 17 and 18. Who can read that one for us? Sorry About that, 17 and 18. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of the unleavened bread seven days. No
1: Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, and the priests and the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were present,
0: and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All right. So here again, we have the the Passover, and the Passover, this Passover was like, it must have been huge, I mean, really, really huge. Uh, In fact, it says it was the, the biggest celebration of the Passover since the days of Samuel. So that's like 400 years earlier. So in 400 years, this was the biggest Passover that was ever celebrated in the history of Judah, in the history of Israel. All right, so, but following this, the, the nation again went after idols, and the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came, and he took the city of Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. He knocks down the wall, and, and everything is destroyed and carried away. People are all taken into exile to Babylon. And then we have the final... Paragraph. Let's take a look at that. Chapter 36 verses 22 to 23. We are back to the decree of Cyrus. It's our last reading. Who wants to take it? All right, so again, we end the book with a message of hope. (laughs) Everything is going to keep going. Everything is going to continue. All of God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Wait for it. He's coming. The Son of David is coming. The Son of God is coming. Uh, This eternal King is coming. Uh, Just wait for it. And it's going to start with the Cyrus telling all the people, go back to Jerusalem and build the temple and keep, keep the worship of God going forward. So that brings us to Jesus in the book of Chronicles. So we saw that there is this direct line that's leading us to the Messiah. It begins with Adam and it goes all the way to Zerubbabel and beyond Zerubbabel. And it's continuing on, straight line. 3,500 years right there, direct line straight to the Messiah, just about 400 and something years left over. All right, and then we have the covenant with David. We looked at that last week. Uh, Solomon is a big picture of Jesus. We saw that last week. And Mount Moriah, where the father sacrifices his son, Abraham, and now David sacrificing to take away the plague. The temple being built there where the sacrifices are offered every year to take away the sins of the nation and ultimately Jesus being sacrificed there to take away the sins of the world. All right, and we have the, the king removing idols. So we saw those five kings. Who can tell me the names of the five kings? Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Well, those five kings were all instrumental in removing idols. And uh, here we are. What's today? Reformation Sunday. (laughs) Right? John Calvin, he said that our hearts are idol factories. (laughs) And King Jesus is spending 24-7 trying to remove the idolatry from our hearts. Every time the idol gets kicked out, the idols come back. And the idol gets kicked out, the idols come back. And the idols get kicked out, and the idols come back. And Jesus is there removing idolatry from our hearts, cleansing our hearts of idolatry over and over and over again. And so all the, that removal of idols is pointing forward to the future. The, the book, the Bible, again, is central to everything going on. And the celebration of the Passover in the New Testament transforms into the celebration of communion or the Lord's Supper. And so we need to be remembering to celebrate communion. And we do that. All right. So what are our four main themes? Removal of idols. Restoring the temple. Reading the book of the law and remembering the Passover or communion. All right. Wow, you guys, you really did really good. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. We're in overtime. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you and we just give you all the praise and glory and honor. This is such an amazing Bible that you've given to us. And we can only scratch the surface. And we just give you give thanks to you, and Lord, just just fill us with your Holy Spirit every day, and we ask, Lord, that you would give us joyful hearts as we enter into worship in in the next hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone.